Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, so do you have that uh, reading um, open uh, in front of you? That would be a help. Um, and as we come to look at God's word, let's pray uh, together. Uh, Master, speak and uh, make me ready. Your, your servant is listening. Uh, Father, we've sung uh, those words. We pray that they would be true for us individually. Uh, give us hearts that are ready to hear you speak. And give us obedient hearts that want to respond in faith uh, to what you have to say. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Isaiah chapter 1 verse 21 uh, says that uh, Israel was once full of justice. Justice. Now, our society, I think, at the moment is becoming increasingly sensitive to the problem of injustice. Uh, Think of the last few months. We've lived through uh, the Me Too campaign. Uh, There was the expose of several Hollywood actors and filmmakers in the Harvey Weinstein scandal. There was the expose of Larry Nassar, the team doctor to the US Olympians, abusing those under his care. Uh, More recently, we've had the sex scandals at Oxfam and the football coach Barry Bernal. It's striking, we're living through a time of awakening uh, as society's waking up to the moral outrage of abuse and injustice, particularly sexual abuse. Now for some of us, as we followed those stories, perhaps they've touched a nerve, perhaps raising memories of our own experiences of injustice. And they should touch us in a way because deep down all of us long for justice. That desire for justice is an innate Uh, desire. Injustice, if we've experienced it, makes us ache. I remember the day before my birthday this year, um, in January, looking at my credit card statement to find that someone had stolen about £500. Uh, It was the first time it had ever happened to me, but I was really shaken by it, especially just before my birthday. How dare they, I thought. Well, thankfully the bank sorted it very quickly, but if you've ever had your house broken into, or your wallet stolen, or worse, if you've been wrongfully accused or shunned or abused or mistreated or betrayed, well then you'll know that ache that injustice causes. Now the problem of injustice can be felt from the other side as well. Is it not true that we have a capacity for treating others unjustly? Now you might never have betrayed your spouse, but it's true I think that when our interests are at stake, we can treat people badly, putting ourselves first and uh, treating others unfairly. Well, in our own experiences this morning of injustice, whether as a victim or a perpetrator, the truth is that deep down we long for someone who'll come and right all of our wrongs, who'll give us back everything that we've lost, who'll give us the justice that we have been denied, and someone who will sort out our own hearts so that we don't mistreat others. Well, Isaiah chapter 1 shows us where to go with all of these problems of injustice. Who to turn to. Because justice is the melodic line that runs through these verses. Um, And the message of them seems to be this. When we come across injustice, whether in society, in the church, uh, in our lives, in our hearts, well, we must turn to the Lord, who alone can restore justice. We must turn to the Lord, who alone can restore justice. But what would that look like, to turn to God to restore justice? 
Well, these verses outline three aspects of the injustice that Israel were facing. We have the crime, the sentence, and the promise. The crime, the sentence, and the promise. And each of those aspects gives us, in turn, three responses that are appropriate uh, to the Lord. So let's have a look, first of all, at the crime. The crime. And as we see the crime, as I would say to us, Christian, examine yourself. Because see the horror of injustice among God's people. Examine yourself. So let's look at verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. Now just look down with me at 21. Um, the city that Isaiah is talking about is Jerusalem, the capital of uh, of, of Israel, but it also stands as a symbol for God's people. So Isaiah is here talking to God's people and he's denouncing them. See, he's saying once they were faithful, full of justice and righteousness, verse 21, but now they've become a prostitute, verse 21, which is an image of unfaithfulness. Well, how have God's people become unfaithful? Verse 21, through pursuing injustice. Now, three particular things are mentioned here. Um, verse 21 mentions murder. Uh, verse 23 mentions thieving and bribery. And then I guess ultimately, uh, verse 23 also describes uh, not defending the fatherless and the widow. Um, that's directed, it seems, at the rulers of Israel, verse 23, the ones who should have been using their power to shield and protect the weak, uh, but that were instead uh, denying those needy, voiceless people justice. And what those three things have in common is this theme of injustice. So think of murder, uh, taking away the life unjustly of an innocent person. Uh, Being swayed by bribes and money. uh, Letting money dictate how you act rather than the principles of fairness. And then ultimately ignoring the pleas and the case of the voiceless, denying them justice. See the crime, Israel is guilty of injustice. And verse 22 gives us images that go deeper. They, this sin has tarnished them. They were once pure silver, pure wine, but now their lives have been tarnished by uh, this sin of injustice. So what have we got here? We, well, we've got the crime, injustice, and it's described in the language of faithfulness of, and purity of devotion. And that is important because it points to the deeper issue beneath the injustice. That is Israel's relationship with God. So you remember chapter 1 from last week. How how was Israel's worship categorised by Isaiah? Do you remember the word hypocrisy? Hypocrisy. See, their relationship with God was all out of sorts. They'd become unfaithful to him. And because of that, uh, that was reflected in their injustice. So see the crime this morning. Well, what does that mean for us this morning? Well, I think the application is for Christian, examine yourself. We must examine ourselves because we, like Jerusalem, like Israel, are a visible community of God's people. Uh, So we must allow Isaiah's words to search us. We need to examine ourselves. See, let's just consider the issues. Murder. Now, you might not have pulled the trigger But how is your thought life? How are your words? Uh, I'm sure in in any church family uh, there will be relationships that are strained. You will have people in, in church that you find it difficult to get on with. That's just life. But how are those relationships? Are there relationships you need to put right? 
What about money? You might not accept bribes, but, well, does money control you in other ways? Like the leaders of Israel, do you chase after it? What do you daydream about? Um, Does the thought of losing money make you anxious? Confess that's one for me. I struggle often with that um, anxiety over money. Money can control us in that kind of a way, quite subtly. And then what about the voiceless, the fatherless and the widow? Again, you might not set out to victimise the poor, but let's just think within this church family, are we good at caring for those who can't care for themselves? Uh, The bereaved, the children with no father, the infirm, the divorced. And it's not just those inside the church. Think of uh, around Stevenage, the, the poor that we see... Often someone, there's someone sitting outside Tesco, isn't there, in the old town. Often we see beggars sitting around. What, what do you feel as you walk past them? Is it shame? Or do we, are we good at sort of stopping and, and at least making contact with them? Speaking to them, kind of giving them a voice? I wonder if as a PCC we could examine ourselves as a church on this issue, whether we could do more to support the weak and the poor. So Christian, examine yourself on those issues. But let's go deeper because remember that the lesson of these verses is that actually what's going on in our lives is really an index of our relationship to God. And so examine that this morning. Um, How we treat people, how we use our money, um, it, it shows us where our hearts really are in relation to God. And the frightening thing is of this chapter is that it it implies that it's possible to be part of God's visible community, to be part of church and yet actually be far away from God. Please examine yourself on that. Perhaps you come to things here at St Nick's, but there's a distance between you and God. You are a stranger to him. Well, even this morning, you can come to him by faith. But you see the point. Examine yourself. This is for us. So there's the crime. Injustice. But what is God's response to the crime? Can he just let it go? Well, no, because secondly, see the sentence. The sentence. And these verses are chapter 1, verse 24 to 31. Now, these verses, God pronounces sentence on the crime. And this sentence has three clear elements to it. There's some negative and positive. Negatively, um, God promises destruction. Destruction. So see verse 24, God says, I will vent wrath on my foes. Verse 25, I will turn my hand against you. Verse 28, rebels and sinners will both be broken. There'll be shame and disgrace, verse 29. And verse 31 hints at an eternal punishment. There's destruction. But that's not the only part of the sentence. There's also mercy here. There's restoration So verse 25, God promises to thoroughly purge away Israel's dross. That picks up the language of earlier on in the chapter. God is promising to renew and restore their relationship to him, removing their impurities, verse 25. God will also sort out the leadership of Israel, verse 26. See, there's this promise of restoration. And also, even better, of deliverance. See verse 27, Zion will be delivered with justice. That is to be saved. Zion will be saved with justice. So the sentence, these three elements, destruction, restoration and deliverance. 
And again, it's justice that binds these threads together. See, destruction, God will destroy the unjust. You see, God is a just God. That should be really good news, actually, this morning. Um, if, you're a vic- if you've been a victim of injustice, God is on your case. He hates injustice because he's a just God. Restoration, God promises to restore justice uh, to Israel. And deliverance, verse 27, this is very striking. God promises to deliver Israel, do you see that, with justice. Now that's, that's amazing, I want to pause on that for a minute. The hint here is of um, uh, God bringing individual Israelites back to him. Of um, individual Israelites turning away from their own individual acts of injustice and uh, God accepting them back. And he does that with justice. Now, if you think about that, that should, be, uh, that should raise a question. Because how can God have penitent Israelites back to him and yet still be just? How can God forgive sin and injustice and yet maintain his own justice? Surely if God was just, the only element of this sentence would be destruction. Because sin has to be paid for, doesn't it? How can God forgive us with justice? Well, it's the conundrum of the Old Testament that points us forward, doesn't it, to the cross. Um, The New Testament gives us the answer to that question. Because on the cross, well, what happened? God stepped in the way, if you like, of his own destruction. God, God vented the full force of his wrath on Jesus, on himself so that we can be restored. And because Jesus, the God-man, takes our place, well, we can be forgiven and delivered with perfect justice. Which means that this sentence is relevant for us today. Because it means that the destruction that you and I deserve for our injustice has taken place at the cross. And let's be clear that, well, we might not have betrayed uh, our spouses or, 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 or... Chase after bribes, but all of us are guilty of the injustice of denying God the love that he deserves. Uh, We're all guilty of this sin. And yet, the New Testament answer to this conundrum is that Jesus has taken the destruction that you and I deserve. Jesus is destroyed instead of us. And so we can be restored and redeemed with justice. It's wonderful. But you see, if we won't let Jesus take our destruction for us, well, then there's no restoration possible. And that threat of destruction still hangs over us. Because God must punish injustice. So that's the sentence. And it's given so that we can act on it. Now, um, last week I wasn't here because of all the snow. We had it bad up in Sheffield, as we always do when it snows. Now, if I'd known that the snow was coming, um, I wouldn't have parked my car uh, halfway through the week on a side road on a hill, um, because then I couldn't move it for five days because the snow was so bad. If I'd known the snow was coming, I'd have have moved the car, parked it on a main road, and, um, you know, parked it on the flat rather than a hill. See, it's good to know what's coming, because we can act on it. And if we know that the judgment is coming on injustice, well then we can take action. Well what is that action? What is the application here? Well the hint is in verse 27. See as I would say to us at St Nick's this morning, Christian, be penitent. Christian, be penitent. That is to be repentant, to be sorry, to be 
um, mournful about your sin. And it begs the question, I wonder, I wonder how aware are you of your own sin? How aware are you of your sin? Because you can't be penitent if you don't know your sin. See, we, we, th- we thought firstly, didn't we, about the, the, the need to examine ourselves. Now, if we're honest about that, if we do that honestly, well, then we, we will find sin. We will f- see that all is not right with God. And as we do see sin, we must be penitent. We must be mournful for our sin, turning away from it and back towards God. By the way, that's the way that you become a Christian. Uh, if you, you're aware, as I've been speaking, that your, your life is not right with God, that your heart is not right with him. If he is a stranger to you, well, he's inviting you back this morning. Uh, the way to solve that is to, is to by coming to him in penitence. See, Jesus died for you. He took the punishment for you. So you can come to God with your sin and turn away from it and invite him back into your life. But it's not just how we become Christians, it's how we go on as Christians. You see, Christians are those with penitent hearts. Hearts that are soft towards sin. Hearts that that are troubled by sin. And it's not that we move on from this. In fact, as we go on as Christians, we ought to know more about our sin. See it more clearly and hate it more. Be troubled by it more. Well, that begs the question, how can we know our sin and not be crushed by it? Well, because remember, who was destroyed? Who was destroyed by sin? It was Jesus, wasn't it? Which means that we can face what we've done and not be destroyed by it. You see, Christian, maybe this morning as I've been speaking, there have been things coming to your mind. Perhaps you've, you're aware of things you've done wrong. Perhaps you, perhaps you are guilty of a great injustice. Perhaps you have betrayed somebody. Perhaps you are angry with someone. Perhaps even this week, maybe you've lost it with someone. And Well, have you confessed it? Have you confessed it to God? Are you repentant about it? Perhaps you're full of grief for it. Well, if you are, then you don't need to be destroyed by it because Jesus was destroyed for you. So you can bring your grief to him in repentance and there can be restoration. But Christian, maybe you're troubled this morning by a memory of something that you've done in the past, some injustice that you committed a long time ago. And you confessed it a long time ago, but it still haunts you. Sin can do that. It still troubles your relationship with God. Well, remember verse 27, that God delivers you with justice. And that word is so important because it means that God is satisfied with the payment that Jesus has made. And he won't ask you to pay again. That would be unjust. That would be to punish sin twice. But in Jesus, it's already been punished. So whatever it is this morning, you can rest in Jesus and what he's done. So, folks, let's see then, secondly, the sentence, the sentence, uh, God's sentence on injustice and the lesson to be penitent. But in the long run, what about the problem of injustice? What about the the Harvey Weinsteins of this world? Well, look on and let's see, uh, as we finish, uh, the promise. And this is chapter 2, one of the many sort of purple passages in Isaiah that um, are wonderful to preach on. And here we have a wonderful promise uh, where God promises to, to kind of do away with, once and for all, the problem of injustice. Now, the previous verses hint at a, uh, a new city. Do you see that in verse 26? 
God promises that, our, that Israel will be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. And we see how this is done in this final section. Um, so look down at chapter 2, verse 2. God promises that in the last days, um, he will completely deal with the problem of in, injustice. And um, he does this in, sort of by three, in th- three different ways. Um, see verse 2. There is um, a global influence, a global influence of God. So we see God promising that in the last days, people will stream to him. Um, and they do it from all over the world. All nations stream to him. Um, and then verse 3, there's, there's a personal transformation. Uh, verse 3 gives a glimpse of people whose hearts are very different from uh, those of Israel. Hearts that want to go to the Lord, verse 3. Who want to be taught by him. Who want to live his way. See, God is the hypocrisy. He, here are faithful Christians. And God says, I will do this. I, I will transform people. And then finally, there's this wonderful promise of the removal of injustice. Verse 4, as God's law, his word, judges between nations, God's rule is finally upheld. It settles disputes. It removes the need for war. And again, the picture here is of people who love God and who are satisfied with his rule. And so they don't look to fight their own corners. You see, here is this wonderful promise. And the thing is that God is doing it now. It's, it's starting now. The New Testament tells us that the last days are now. We're living in the last days. It's the time before Jesus returns. And so um, God is already doing all of these things. And the lesson for us is to, is to get on board and to live Godwardly. To live Godwardly. See, just think how these things are happening. So global influence. See, all the nations are streaming to God. They already are streaming to God. I was um, visiting a Bible college on Thursday and sitting through a lecture all day um, with just about 10, 12 other, other guys. Um, and it was really striking. Um, there were a few Brits, but there were lots of other people from other, all over the world. There were a couple of Dutch people, um, a South African, uh, a Madagascan guy, a, another African um, and that was just 12 of us. See, all the nations are already streaming to God. The travesty of injustice among God's people, of hypocrisy, it's being undone as people who genuinely love God are streaming to him from all over the world. So Christian, live Godwardly. Get on board with this promise by furthering the global influence of the gospel. Pray for our mission partners. Um, we heard about compassion the other week. That's a good thing to support. And then personal transformation. You see, the gospel is transforming people's lives now, which is wonderful, wonderfully good news for us. Uh, because as I've been speaking, perhaps you've been thinking, oh, I wish I was, I was more godly. I wish I was kind of, I loved the, the poor more. I wish I, I hated sin more. Well, these verses say that actually change is possible. It's possible to grow in loving justice. Well, how? Well, verse 3 suggests that it's by looking at God himself, by going up to God himself and seeking his change, his transformation. It begs the question, where do we see God's character, his love of justice revealed most clearly? Well, it's in the Lord Jesus. Uh, You see, Christian, do you want to grow to care more about justice? Well, study Christ. 
Study Christ. Think of, think of Jesus' love of justice, how he cursed the Pharisees, how he turned over the money changers in the temple, how so often he, he sought out the weak and the poor and, and, and women, actually, women who, who in that society didn't have a voice and ultimately who died to bring us, the fatherless, before God, back into relationship with God, our Father. You see, live Godwardly. Remember how for Israel, in, injustice started with their relationship to God, didn't it? They were unfaithful to God and that reflected in their lives. And this last point is really making the opposite point. If we want to grow in justice, well then we must start with God. We must live Godwardly. Make him our focus. Perhaps you're struggling with somebody this week or, or some issue. Well this morning, come to him and seek him. Seek, ask him to change you. And to give you his love of justice. But this component component of the removal of injustice is really ultimately a promise for the future. We're starting to see it now, but we won't see it completely until the new creation. And so until then, well, there will be other Me Too campaigns. There will be other Harvey Weinsteins. But for us this morning, we do have someone to go to with our injustices. So Christian, examine yourself, be penitent, and live Godwardly. Let's pray together. Just have a moment of of silence to bring um, things on your heart uh, to the Lord. And uh, just while I get myself organised in a minute or two, we'll sing uh, Two Sins, Our Confession, together.